Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 9. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 9. We're about halfway through our series of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as portrayed through the Gospel Record of Luke. And as we're in the Gospel Record of Luke in chapter number 9, we're watching as Jesus Christ has now entered into his third year of his earthly ministry, is actually in the middle of it, and is now preparing his journey back to Jerusalem. And there at Jerusalem, he's going to be crucified and died. I know that we've got a lot more of the gospel record of Luke, but we're going to start seeing him as he's heading back and he's working with the disciples and he's drawing them close. Now he's already taken some time with his disciples and he's been teaching them, trying to instruct them. And now we find our way to the gospel record of Luke in chapter number nine. The gospel record of Luke chapter nine, and notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number 28. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 9 and verse number 28, the Word of God says this. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days of any of those things which they had seen. And if they have been marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find here in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number nine? In the gospel record of Luke chapter number nine, would you notice a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke chapter nine in verse number 31? Uh, verse number 32 rather. In verse number 32 it says, they saw his glory. They saw his glory. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach about this event. They saw His glory. Some people call it uh, the, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. But we're going to put this emphasis here. They saw 
his glory. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would open up your word. And thank you for the privilege of having your Bible, to be able to see what it says. And I'm asking that you would open it up in a special way, that we may behold your glory, that we could see you high, holy, and lifted up, that we can see you as you truly are. I'm asking that you would just help us now order my steps, order my thoughts, order things the way that you want things to go, for the purpose of glorifying your own name. Thank you for the privilege to be in your house tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now earlier in this chapter, Jesus had gathered his disciples and he asked them, Boys, who do men say that I am? And they said, Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elias. Some say that you are one of the prophets. And Jesus looked at them and said, whom say ye that I am? And Peter went up and said, Thou art the Son of God, the Son of Christ. You are the Messiah of God. That he made a clear profession. He got the right answer. But notice if you don't mind as you think about that, that we start off with the idea of whom do men say that I am. And you understand men has their own opinion. And we could ask different people who is Christ and they have their own ideas of the Christ that they have. This is the Christ that we have. This is the Christ that we have. And you know man's opinion when it all looks and said and done doesn't matter a lot. That we come up to the disciples. And the disciples had the correct answer of who Christ is. And it's good that other people are confessing Christ. But may I say that we should be looking for something even better than what a religious person has to say? We should be seeing what does God have to say. And in this passage here, that we're going to see what God has to say about who Christ is. And God is the one who is the authority. It matters what God has to say about the matter. That when God says it, that matter is settled. And that's what we should be looking for is what does God have to say in this matter. If you don't mind it, let's examine this text. And the first thing I want to show you is Jesus' Jesus altered appearance. Jesus altered appearance. Notice if you don't mind in verse 38 or 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings. Remember that Jesus Christ had asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And who do you say that I am? About eight days after this, Jesus uh, took Peter and John and James and went up to a mountain to pray. A lot of people believe that this is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's so tall, it stands about 9,000 feet, that almost anywhere in that promised land area, you could see at least the top of Mount Hermon. That Mount Hermon is usually snow-capped year-round. And it is if Jesus was going to transfigure anywhere, that'd be the place to go. And so as he takes him, he takes his disciples and he puts rest of them near the base and he goes up a little further and he takes his inner circle of Peter, James, and John. That is, Jesus taught the twelve. He also took these three and he gave them special things that the others didn't see. He did special training with them. And this is one of those cases. He takes Peter and he takes John and he takes James and they go up to the mountain to pray. All right, boys, we're going to go pray. And I don't know how spiritual all the rest of the disciples were, but they know that when Jesus prayed, sometimes it's going to take a long time. So he says, Peter, James, John, come pray. You almost want to think that one of the disciples like, I didn't feel like it today. I just go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll hold the fort down here. Boys, let's go pray. Now they didn't know what was going to happen. 
they just said Jesus wants to go pray. Let's go pray. It's good practice because it's going to be the same three later on in the Garden of Gethsemane. They end up falling asleep and Jesus has to wake them up. He's almost like he's giving them practice and saying, we, we need to get this right. And notice, if you don't mind, what happens. Verse 29, and as he, Jesus, prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. And his raiment was white and glistering. So as Jesus is praying, the other three fall asleep. And we have the idea that this is in the middle of the night. And of course, they work hard. Jesus puts them to work. There's a lot of things. It's natural for someone to be tired. And so, whereas we may want to give them a hard time, we understand that that's human nature. When you're working hard, now you're in the cool of the uh, mountain. Jesus is praying and he's taking time praying. The three fell asleep. And while they fell asleep, Jesus Christ was transfigured. His countenance was altered. This carries the idea, this transfigured, is that he is changing from the inside out. The idea of a countenance is that it's showing on the outside what's happening on the inside. You know, it's one of those things that you, your eye rolls are pretty loud, right? You, you could see from someone's countenance what they're feeling inside. And as his countenance, as Jesus Christ is changing, what is in the inside of Jesus is now showing to the outside. Remember that Jesus Christ is God, robed in flesh. And at this time, just for a moment, he takes off his robe. And he is shown he is God in his glory, in his magnificence. And right there, his raiment was white. Now, Imagine this, that as he changes, even his clothes change to reflect. And once again, God changes us from the inside out. And Jesus Christ, he is putting what's in the inside and it's now showing on the outside. White and glistening. That idea of glistening carries the idea of glowing. Almost like a sparkle type thing, just a glowing thing. Now remember, this is in the night. So even this glow has got to be even more pronounced in the night sky. And as Jesus Christ is there, he takes a moment to turn inside out. What an amazing thing. But then notice what happens. Verse number 30, and behold. The word behold is a very important word. It carries the idea to stop and pay attention. Don't overstate this. Don't miss this fact. Behold. Behold. There talked with him two men. Who are these men? Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. They're talking with him. Now, by the way, this is historical Moses. This is historical Elijah. Isn't that wonderful? That they, even though they had died and gone from the earth hundreds of years ago, they're still alive somewhere and they come out and they talk with Jesus up in the mountain. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Now, it's interesting, these two, because you have Moses who died and was buried. And one day, for those who, have, who do die, you're going to be risen up to a brand new body. 
And then there's Elijah who never died. He was raptured out. And there's some of us who are going to be raptured out. And there we have an example of two of them there that died and was risen and someone who was raptured home. And now they're talking with Jesus. There's Moses and there's Elijah. And this is a big deal. To the Hebrew mind, there was no two bigger figures in all of their theology and all of the Bible than Moses and Elijah. To the Hebrew people, Moses was the greatest leader the Hebrew people had ever had. He's the one who led the people through the Exodus. He's the one who God used to see the miracles. He's the one who led the people. He's the one God used as a human instrument to give them the law. They had no greater uh, leader than Moses. And to the Hebrew mind, there was no greater person used to see miracles than Elijah. That Elijah was very much their hero, their national hero, the biggest figure of miracles that could be done. And so here are the two most important figures in the Hebrew mind of the Old Testament past, Moses and Elijah. And they're there on the mountain talking to Jesus Christ who is God and at the moment has taken off his robe of flesh and is there transfigured the inside out in front of them. And they're talking with him. Can you imagine being there and witnessing that? Can you imagine seeing that? Well, notice what happens. In verse number 31. Who appeared in glory... And spake of his decease. So here's Moses. Here's Elijah. And they're talking with Jesus. That's wonderful. They just didn't appear. They're in a conversation. Aren't you glad that you could have a friendly conversation with Jesus. And you could talk to him. And that he wants to be your friend. And they're having a conversation. Now if there is something that you should already understand. Is that if you give guys or girls enough time that eventually they're going to talk about their most favorite thing. That if their most favorite thing is fishing, eventually they're going to be talking about fishing. They're just natural conversation. What's important to them is what's going to come up. Well, notice the discussion they're talking about. Verse 31, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish in Jerusalem. What's the subject matter that Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus? The death of Jesus Christ. They're talking about the death. Now, this is pretty amazing. We understand that the Old Testament saints were saved the same way as the New Testament saints. They looked forward to the promises that weren't yet fulfilled. They believed by faith through grace, just like we do. We just happen to have more information and we're looking back at the cross. They're looking forward to the promises of the cross, but they're saved the same way that we are. And it is my personal belief that they understood a little bit more about Christ personally. We may know more about Christ doctrinally, but they knew more about Christ personally. That there's Adam who walked with God in the cool of the garden. There was Elijah who walked with God. Enoch who walked with God. You had Abraham who was called the friend of God. That we may know more about Christ doctrinally. But they knew more about Christ personally. They actually got to talk with him. And be with him. And be his friend. That's the relationship. By the way that relationship is still available today. We just get too satisfied with our numbers. And 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 facts and figures about Christ that we're not that we get satisfied with that rather than getting to know him personally 
And Christ wants us to know him personally. And here's Moses. Here's Elijah talking to Christ personally. And they're talking to him about what the death is going to come. You know, they're excited about the death. By the way, we learn a couple things here. First of all, that the death of Jesus Christ was not an accident. It was clearly planned out. It wasn't plan B. Jesus Christ was going to the cross. He always knew he was going to the cross. Something else interesting there is that word decease. That word decease carries the, is the same word that we get the word exodus. That it spoke about his decease. He is going to accomplish an exodus. That Jesus Christ is going to open up the doors of heaven because of his shed blood. And we are going to be able to go led to the promised land. Just like he said. Aren't you glad that Jesus noticed something else there? It said, who appeared in his glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. You understand that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for your sins and mine, it was an accomplishment. Meaning that was a purposeful action that he set out to do. And he died on the cross and he died for the sins of the entire world. And it was finished. It was accomplished. It was enough. Nothing could be taken away from it. Nothing could be added to it. It was accomplished. And that's what Moses, that's what Elijah was talking with Jesus. Jesus, we are so glad that you're headed to the cross. And when you go to the cross, it's going to accomplish everything that you set to do. You understand Moses and Elijah knew this, that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus, we know that our salvation is dependent upon you going to the cross and we know that you have to go to the cross so that way I could be saved. Even though I accepted the promise way back then. This is the point, action, and time we've been waiting for. The time where you promise you were going to die and take care of our sins. What a wonderful... Con can you imagine that conversation? Could you imagine what it would be like? Especially to wake up from your prayer and look up and there's Jesus. And there's Moses and Elijah. That would kind of be stunning, wouldn't it? Notice if you don't mind, we see something else. Not only do we see that Jesus' altered appearance, but we see Peter's awkward speech. Peter's awkward speech. Verse 32. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they awake, woke, they saw his glory in the two men that stood before him. Probably be an eerie thing when you're traveling with Jesus and the other guys are asleep and you hear voices and kind of don't recognize voices and you look up and, whoa, that's Jesus, but he's inside out. He's taken off his robe and it's his glory and he's bright shining on the mountain and glistening. Wow. And then there's Moses. There's Elijah. And as he's listening, he's listening to them talk. Jesus, you have to go to the cross. Jesus, when you get there, you're going to pay the price of the whole world. People are going to be saved because of what you do there. And they're listening to the conversation. They're excited about what Jesus is going to accomplish. Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they opened up, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass 
as they departed from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles. One for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he had said. Oh, if there's one thing that Peter suffered from is foot and mouth disease. It would have been better for the whole world if he just would have learned to be quiet at times. Isn't it interesting? It said his motive here. He didn't know what he said. Isn't that just a problem that a lot of us have? Is we don't know what to say, so we just keep talking to fill in the void. Just, just keep talking and keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. And Jesus, Peter said foolish things here. Now, we also are looking at it from a Christian perspective, but understand from a Jewish perspective, there is no greater his heroes than Moses. No greater hero than Elijah. And so from a Jewish perspective, this is great praise to put Jesus up and elevate him to the place of Moses and the place of Elijah. Here is Moses, the writer of the law. Here is Elijah, the king of the prophets. Those are the major sections within it. Oh, here is the law and here is the prophets and we're putting Jesus here. But we understand that Jesus is not there. He's far above the law. He's far above the prophets. And that Jesus didn't belong there on that list. He was a list of his very own. But Peter, not knowing what to say, just opened his mouth and things spilled out. And, oh, let's build a tabernacle. Let's dwell, have a permanent dwelling place. And have a dwelling place here. And, a pl and let's just stay here and celebrate the law and the prophets and Jesus. This is great. Let's just stay here forever. Let's just... But you understand that you can't stay on the mountain forever. There are things that need to be done. And so Peter just opened his mouth. One of those things. With it, we see something else. God's announced declaration. God's announced declaration. Now notice this. Verse 34. While he thus spoke. Who's this he? Peter. So why Peter is opening his mouth and saying something foolish, God interrupts him. Peter, before you say anything else stupid, let's stop you right here. While Peter is still speaking, while he thus spoke, there came a cloud that overshadowed them and they feared as they entered into a cloud. Verse 35, and they came a voice out of the cloud. Notice there's an emphasis here on the word cloud. Just two verses here, three times it's putting the idea of the cloud. Inside of the Old Testament, God was also pictured physically as a cloud. Whether it was leading him through the wilderness. Whether it was a cloud that descended upon the tabernacle. The cloud that descended upon the temple. It was a symbol of God's presence upon them. And they're seeing a physical cloud coming that had the presence of God. And as the cloud began to come, while he thus spoke, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered in the cloud. That is Peter speaking. All of a sudden this cloud starts coming on. And it's the presence of God. And he shuts up. And they're fearful. Because they're in the presence of God. You know when you see God as he truly is. You begin to see yourself as you truly are. May I take a quick pause and run down somewhere? Turn with me if you don't mind in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter number 6.
Isaiah in chapter number 6. The vision of God is one of the paramount things within a believer's life, whether Old Testament or New Testament. And when we get a clear vision of God, it changes everything. Notice with me Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting on the throne. Now let's pause here. King Uzziah was a long reigning king who reigned about 45 years. To a lot of people, this is the only king that they know. During King Isaiah's time, there was peace and there was prosperity. And the year that King Uzziah died, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of people who were scared. What are we going to do? Is the economy going to tank? What's going to happen? There was a lot of fear. And it was in the middle of it that God presented himself. Listen, let me show you who I am. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. Notice the position of God. He's on the throne. He's sitting on the throne and he's high and lifted up. Notice this, and his train filled the temple. Back in the ancient world, that when a king would wear a train, a cape, a robe, it would go behind him. And the idea was is that the longer the train, the more honor and glory and prestige that king was worth. And Jesus, when God is sitting here, and he's sitting on the throne, his train filled the temple. Now remember, this is in the temple. It is a huge room, bigger than this room. And can you imagine seeing God high, holy, and lifted up? And God is so worthy of honor and glory and praise that his train has filled up the whole temple to show the glory that God is worth, the honor that is due, the prestige that he has. Notice in verse 2, and above it stood the seraphims. Now the seraphims are a specific type of angel. And may I pop this bubble now? Angels are not fat little babies with wings and diapers and halos. That's not what an angel looks like at all. Here are seraphims, specialized angels. And above it stood the seraphims. They mean the burning ones. One, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. Now notice, they have three sets of wings, six wings, and each one of them had a purpose. Of course, we understand the main purpose of the wings would be fly. We could figure that out. But notice that they also had a set of wings that would cover his face. Now these are the seraphims, the burning ones, the ones that are in charge. That's their whole purpose is to serve the throne room of God. That's their only purpose. And while they're standing before God, they have to have wings that cover their face. Why? Because even though these angels are perfect, they still pale in comparison to the holiness and perfection of God. And they cannot look upon God's face. In fact, these perfect angels who are created to serve God cannot look upon God and live. In fact, there is only one creature in all of God's creation that will ever be able to look upon God's face with their own eyes. And that's redeemed man. In our brand new redeemed bodies, we're the only ones who will be able to look at God with our own eyes. But here, these angels, as they're serving God in reverence of God, that even though they're perfect and they've never sinned, they cannot look upon the holiness of God because He is so holy and so far above them. And then notice there's another set of wings. 
With twain they covered their feet. Why did they cover their feet? Well, the reason is, is because feet are a sign of creation. And they're standing before their creator. And they have to show humbleness before their creator. And they cover their feet. By the way, this is the same reason when Moses stood before the burning bush that God said, stop and take off your shoes. Because the ground that you're standing in is holy ground. Why? It was because he could see, so Moses could see his feet. And in the presence of God be reminded, I am created. This is the creator. I am nothing. He is high. He is high, holy, and lifted up. And I am nothing in his sight. I am his creation. I am lower than him. Notice as it goes on. Verse number three. And one, these seraphims, one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, they're saying holy. Holy, holy. By the way, it is these same angels that later on in the book of Revelation as they're standing before the throne room of God, they're still saying the same thing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. You know that they've been doing this since the beginning of creation for 6,000 years. That is their job. And they don't take a break. They don't have a nap. They don't have vacation. It is their permanent job forever and ever to stand at the throne room of God and pronounce God holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. Now notice the volume of their voice. Verse number 4. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried when they're saying this they're not saying it with a weak pathetic voice holy 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 but they're praising God and announcing who he is you don't know who he is he is holy 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 Lord God almighty who is and was and is to come and they're saying it with such passion and they're saying with such power that even the door frames of the building is beginning to shake at the voice of their cry holy 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 Lord God almighty who is and was and is to come. Verse number five or verse number four. The post of the door moved at the voice with him and his house was filled with smoke. We've already covered that. This shows the presence of God thick and visible in that place. The presence of God was there. And they're proclaiming it. And here is Isaiah who's witnessing these burning ones. Who have three sets of wings. With twain to fly. With twain to cover their face. With twain to cover their feet. And they're standing before God. Ceasing not. And forever and ever saying holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Who is and was and is to come. And the presence of God filled the place. And the pillars begin to shake at the voice of them that cry. And Isaiah looks at the vision of God and sees God as he truly is. And verse 5 he said, and then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. 
because I have a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. You understand? A clear vision of God will show you a clear vision of who you are. That I am nothing before God. That He is everything. I am so small. I'm so weak. I am nothing before Him. That whenever you have an ego problem, you need to see God. And see that you're nothing before God. That He is God and He is mighty. He is strong. He is big. And I am nothing. I am weak. You understand? As God gives a comparison in the Bible about man, He calls him several things. He calls him a grasshopper. That you're like a grasshopper in my sight. You are like dust in my sight. You are like nothing in my sight. And when we see a clear vision of God and see how big and mighty He is, we finally see ourselves as we truly are. That I'm undone. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I am nothing before God. And Isaiah breaks down and acknowledges that, listen, I don't know why I was worrying about the future. I don't know. You're God and you're sitting on the throne. That's all I need. I'm a man that's undone. He realized how much of a sinner he is. And it goes on and gives a physical demonstration of the a pictorial image of his sin nature. That I'm a man of unclean lips. And they said, well, let's take care of that sin. And they symbolically take a coal and put it in his mouth. To show that his sin has been purged and taken away from them. And then verse number 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Now notice, he is not talking to Isaiah. The Lord is saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Notice there, that is a, <coughs> a plural noun there, us. A pronoun, that's us. Who's he talking to? Himself, Jesus. The Holy Ghost. He is talking to himself. He's having a conversation. Jesus, who are we going to send? And notice what Isaiah did. He raised his hand. Lord, here am I. Send me. I'll go for you. You understand when you get a clear vision of God, you'll get a clear vision of yourself. And when you get a clear vision of God, you also get a clear vision of the work. And it's no big deal to serve God when you realize the God that you're serving. It's no big deal to be obedient to God when you see the God that you're obeying. That it's all about our vision of God and who He is. The vision of God settles everything. And so as Jesus Christ has taken His disciples, Jesus Christ who was God, back to Luke chapter 9. Jesus Christ who was robed in flesh at this moment in time, took off that robe. And they got to see the Lord high, holy, and lifted up. By the way, in a different passage, Jesus says, hey, you remember when Isaiah saw the Lord high, holy, and lifted up? That was me. That was pretty bold of Jesus to say. It must have been true because he can't lie. He said, that was me. So when Isaiah saw the Lord, who did he see? He saw Jesus. And now they got to see Jesus. They got to see a clear vision of who God is. And they realized who they truly were. And now they also see the work. as they truly are. Notice if you don't mind. Verse 34. Luke 9, 34. And while he thus spoke, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered to the cloud. They had a fear of God. They had a vision of who God is. And there came a voice in the cloud saying... 
This is my beloved son. Hear him. Now that beloved son is a very important adjective. We understand that different versions try to take that away. But that beloved carries the idea that he didn't just choose him out of everyone. It means he's my special and unique and only son. He's not out of all my sons I've chosen him. He's my special unique. It's the same word begotten for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is a special and unique. There's only one son. I'm so thankful for that. And God says, remember, we heard before the witnesses of what other people said about Christ. We heard the witness of what even Jesus' disciples said about Christ. But the thing that matters the most is what does God say about Christ? And God gave the witness, this is my beloved son. Now notice this, hear him. Obey him. Now with this, we have the idea, God's word is what matters the most. God's word is what we're looking for the most. It is God's word that settles it all. Years later, Peter wrote about this incident. Turn with me, if you wouldn't mind, to the book of 1 Peter. Peter writes about this incident. And by the way, this is a powerful incident, isn't it? It's a powerful experience, 1 Peter. Second Peter, rather. Second Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter writes about this incident later on. And what a powerful incident it is. By the way, back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this. The gospel record of Matthew gives further instructions until I be risen again. And that way they could be a testimony. Let me tell you, this was God and I got to see him as God. And part of this, now Peter's telling, let me tell you this story. Let me tell you what happened. For, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Meaning, we haven't followed stories and fairy tales. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He said, let me tell you, I was there. I witnessed him. I saw him transfigured. He goes on and tells the story, verse 17. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came for us from heaven we heard when we were with him in that holy mount. Now this is an amazing story. He says, let me tell you about the time I was there with Jesus. I saw him transfigured. I saw him turned inside out. I heard the voice of God. That's pretty amazing. It was an experience. It was a wonderful experience. But notice the next verse. We, verse 19, have also a more sure word of prophecy. Wherefore ye do well that ye take heed as a light that shineth in the dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Notice this. He says, let me tell you, as a great of his experience as it was, we have something better. We have God's word. 
Better than experiences. Better than secondhand stories. Better than visions. Better than someone else's report. We have the Bible. We have God's word. This is better than any experience you could go through. This is better than any story you could hear. This is better than any testimony you could have from someone else. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Listen to God's word. It is God's word that settles it all. More than the voice of someone. More than a voice of some holy person. It is the voice of God that matters the most. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Verse 20. Knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Remember this idea of knowing this verse is, hey, this is important, that no prophecy of scripture is any private interpretation. What does that mean? That we're not trying to find out what the Bible means to me. It's not, well, this means something to you and it means something different to me. When God wrote it, it meant one thing by it. And we need to find out what did God mean by it. That's why the Bible says, study to show thyself approvement. Uh, unto God, a workman rightly dividing the word of truth. That means we need to find out what did God mean. Because it matters about what God said. Not my interpretation, not your interpretation. It matters what God says. And by the way, you could find out what God said about it. There's proper ways of hermeneutics. That's a fancy way of studying, of properly interpreting the Bible. There are certain things we can do to make sure we're finding out what God means by it, not what I think it means. Verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That is telling us that God's the one that wrote the scriptures, not man. Man didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to write a Bible. God says, listen, I want some instruments. I'm going to use you. It is God's word that we could trust. We have a more sure word of prophecy. As we said before, it's great that other people may say things about Christ. It may be great even what a preacher has to say about Christ. But more important, what does God have to say? It matters about what God's word said. That we have a more sure word of prophecy. And someone may have a great experience... But we have to line it up to the scriptures. Someone may come up with a great idea, but we have to line them up to the scriptures. Because it is God's word that matters the most. What does God have to say about the matter? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.